Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Rob. And back in the studio, we have Dan Goddard, Lead Pastor of Victory Church in Moose Jaw. Good morning, Dan. Hello, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. Hey, the gang's back in town yet again here in uh, sunny Karenport, Saskatchewan. It's a beautiful morning. There's no snow on the ground, and it's been plus zero all week in Saskatchewan. So uh, for my friends up in Quebec, uh, where my brother lives, there's snow everywhere. So uh, we I don't know who's more blessed, us without snow or them with snow. But uh, anyway, Dan, it's good to have you back. Yeah, How was your vacation? Do anything new <laughs> while you were away? It was a uh, forced vacation, actually. So quite an interesting one. I ended up in uh, emergency room with a Oh, I didn't hear this. Did you know this, Jeff? I did not know this. Uh, I heard there were rumors flying around when he didn't show up on Sunday at church. I'll tell you, man, that it laid me flat out. It was okay. a horrible experience, actually. But uh, I am so thankful for a great uh, healthcare system and doctors and nurses. People took care of me and they pulled out my appendix mm. and uh, just took me a few days to find my way back to being upright. Mm. And uh, it's good to be back in the land of uh, those who can consciously think about life and talk about life. So, right, but you still yeah. can't laugh because it hurts a little bit. There's still some pain, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah, for you're sure. not out yeah. running any half marathons anytime soon. You know, I actually asked them about that when they were, b- yeah. oper- you know, both w- uh, operating and afterwards, and uh, nobody had any real clear advice for me. They were just kind of oh. like, well, you know, feel it out, see see how you're doing, and then, right. yeah, yeah. Let pain be your guide. Yeah, yeah. So, so so far, definitely, I'm not there. Wow. Okay. But I have lost some weight. I'm, I'm pretty excited about wow, that. Wow, that's yeah. remarkable because you don't have a lot to lose. <laughs> I could give you some. What's that, like three ounces? Is that the, the, the appendix? Exactly. The appendix. Yeah. Just you drink know, some water. It's the size of a pinky finger, your appendix. It's just a small huh. deal, but yeah. it messed me up. Yeah. Like, yeah, it kicked my butt. So it's amazing how little things can... Uh, and and yeah. it does, is it hurt as bad as they say? It was bad, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was very sick and, yeah, mm. so... But, uh, you know, everybody should just... <laughs> I don't know if everybody should, but... Uh, just when, get it done. Well, yeah, when you should. get that sick, it does make you grateful for health when you feel better, mm. right? Yeah. It's, all, yeah. it's like, oh my goodness, does this ever feel great? Yeah. Just being alert and alive and yeah. and not experiencing that. So uh, there is some benefits hmm. to going through something like that. Wow. There's a lesson there about suffering. <laughs> well, we released this podcast on Monday for our pastor's sake. That's the kind of the day we chose. And because we thought, oh, maybe on a Monday morning, pastors will tune in and listen and have it for their day and it's available to them. And if not, they can get it out on Tuesday and listen to it then. And, you know, and part of the rationale behind that is most pastors take Monday off. So um, maybe right. if they're working in the garden or shoveling snow or whatever, they can uh, listen to the podcast. Um you guys take days off uh, in your pastoral ministry experience. Um, I know, Jeff, you're working double time. You're working at the school and you're um, that. But uh, what's the what's the go-to day off for you guys? Well, I take Fridays off. Yeah, it's my, my, yeah some uh, do that. Yeah. And I've done that, yeah, 28 years of pastoral work. Mm. So mm. our kids, um, for the most part, had Friday afternoons off. Okay. So And, and then just having that Friday, Saturday together yeah. uh, for our kids was uh, really valuable for that season of our lives. So now it's, we're empty nesters and, and uh, it's not quite quite the same, but mm. um, that's been our 
our pattern. So Saturday night, you finally get down to looking at the sermon again and, you know, yeah, I have a rule, actually. After. It's kind of funny. I, man, my board holds me accountable on this. Mm. They actually, this one of their questions at board meetings. It's like, how are you doing with Sabbath? You know, mm. um, But I have a rule that I can I can flex Friday or Saturday, Okay. but I have to have a 24-hour period where I don't touch work. Okay. So that's email, you know, right. texting, yeah. um, and the sermon, of course, is right. the main piece. And that's kind of so. like sundown to sundown type exactly. of thing. Exactly. That's yeah, usually what I do. It's 24 yep. hours. Exactly. It can't be like a 16-hour. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So so I work on my sermon either Friday or Saturday, but, mm. but never both. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what does a worship pastor do, Jeff? Do they take... Uh... I mean, I, I've when I first went into full-time ministry, I started taking Mondays off, but uh, then... Uh, another pastor friend of mine, uh, he called it the uh, the Sunday hangover, yeah, right. where, where you the, just feel kind of you know low energy. And he said, "I'd I'd rather spend that that day when I don't feel good in the office, right, and, and have my have my day off be Friday, which was a uh, you know a more energetic day." And I found um, so I made that switch as well. And I did find Mondays was it was a quiet day at the church, and I could get a lot of sort of plow through admin stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, catch up on my email and uh, get ahead on some planning. And my challenge with Fridays was that typically I would have uh, rehearsal for the service on Thursday night, mm-hmm. and then I'm my mind Thinking would about just it. be yeah. churning about yeah. Sunday all through, like my the, the day off and the the weekend. So it took me a while to sort of develop that discipline of just yeah. letting go of that and trusting that. Uh, you know, trusting in the prep work and the planning that we had done, and um, and allowing myself that mm. that time of Sabbath. But, and I think um, that happens for pastors too. You yeah. know, with sermon oh, yeah. prep. And yeah. I've known a lot of pastors who tried to switch to Friday, and then they just couldn't figure out that sermon piece. Like they were just like, I I can't help but work on my sermon on Friday and Saturday. Yeah. So yeah. For, for them, Monday was a better option. Yeah, and that yeah. was true for me. I, I yeah. tried the Friday thing. Um, and I, I just found like Saturday oftentimes, I, I mean, I was planting a church. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, th- there was just so much that could go wrong and did go wrong sure. often yep. um, because you don't have your own facility and, and whatnot. And so I just found my sab- Saturdays were always being sabotaged by something. Sure. Right. Yep. And so, and then I'm, you know, I'm crunching for the sermon and I, and I just, yeah, it's just the way I was wired. There's a more immediacy in my sermon preparation. Yep. And mm-hmm. if I did it too far in advance, I, I just found it wasn't as, yep. it didn't have the same kick. Um, so I went with Mondays and I had, so I had to deal with the Monday blues like the pastors right. have, right? Yep. And uh, so for some of our listeners who don't do regular preaching on weekends, I mean, Mondays can be pretty hard yep, on the body brutal. because yep. if you're preaching Sunday, you have to be up, you have to be on, you've got a you know, dopamine, adrenaline spikes in your body and they have yep. to filter out for the day off and then... Also, you're, you know, you're in your weakness, you're second guessing yourself and you're, you know, um, have all these conversations that you collect on a Sunday after worship and things, you know, oh, I got to follow up on this. Right. And if you take that with you into your day off, that's, it's hard to get it out of your brain kind of thing. So I know, you know, I get all of that. So, um, yeah, but what I love about having a day off on a, on a Monday is, uh, I get to go shopping and there's no one out shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Fair (laughs) enough. Yeah. Uh, did you find that on Fridays? Like, would you go to the stores and you'd find like they're empty? Yeah, there's there's different things that are advantages yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, where yeah, because Saturday comes and then it's it's more the weekend than a yeah. Friday. Yeah. yeah, but did you find like I I found that it was hard to be have a good social life because 
my day off was different than the day off of everybody else who are my friends. They all have weekends off and like I'm working on weekends kind of thing as a pastor. Uh, so it's hard to align that sometimes. Yeah, I found it tough because my, my wife had a regular Monday to Friday mm. yes. job yeah, yeah, as yeah. well. So we, um, I mean, I felt that pressure. Like we would have one day off together of Saturday, mm-hmm. and then that would that would just be jam-packed with um, usually with activities with the kids and catching up on errands and things. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely... Uh, felt that that pressure I, I suggested once that i should take sundays off but my lead pastor <laughs> w- wouldn't go for it Didn't for some it. reason well we can give him a call and see if but uh, that, that brings up an important part of sabbath it's it's yeah. not just a day off right yeah. and and the the idea of like okay how do i make sure it's replenishing um delight in yeah in that's it, right and uh, even time with the lord that's not it doesn't feel like work yeah but that uh, is is a, a holy day yeah know? so what's your what's your guys go to for sabbath what do you do what do you like to do I mean, for me, it's it's. I try to make sure it's restful. Yeah. I try to make sure it's delightful. So I think of you know what's what's fun. Hmm. Um, if there's chores that need doing that I that are life giving to me, I can engage in those chores. But then I try to make it a rule that if it's a if it's if it feels like work, even if it's not my official job, hmm. that it really doesn't fit for that Sabbath. You know, yeah. and that's why it's actually good to have more than one day. Right, like yeah, a day exactly. and a half, or yeah, yeah. even two days. Because you always have those chores. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find that those chores can be like some of them can be actually life giving? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things that are actually kind of fun to yeah. to work on, like gardening yeah. or getting out in the yard or absolutely. something. Yeah. 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 Uh, have you guys read Mark Buchanan's The Rest of God? Fantastic. Book. Yeah. 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 Great book. So he, you know, he talks about the difference between I get to or I have to. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so my rule was always if I'm doing something in the yard and and it's my Sabbath and it starts feeling like work. I just drop what I'm doing yeah. and I stop and I go and do something else. Right. So that moment it starts becoming this have to, instead of a get to, then I'm just, Bleh. Jeff, do you, go, do you have any Sabbath plans? Do you have anything you do? I mean, I need some, like a block of the day, the morning or the afternoon where there's nothing scheduled and I just, hmm. I need nothing time <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and I could end up, you know, often reading a book, uh, something that, you know, just reading something for fun mm. or just sitting and and thinking and um, whatever. But I need that unhurried nothing time. Uh, that's that's important. For so what me. do you do? You just go sit on a wooden chair and get into your nothing box and, and think about nothing? Um, I'll, I'll always end up, I mean, I have a very rich uh, interior thought life, so I'll, I'll, I'll be thinking about something, but I need time for that, yeah, right? And yeah. I need time where there, there just aren't going to be any demands on on me. So like a, a long leisurely morning, mm-hmm. like I would still wake up early, but it, like with the idea that I could just linger over that second or third cup of coffee with nothing that I have to do. Yeah. And then another thing is I like to have something physical, hmm. like to whether it's hmm. mowing the lawn or going for a hike or a run or working yeah. out or so, yeah. so, something that is, um, to get that blood pumping is, uh, you know, is really important hmm. uh, because, you know, so much of the time during the week is, uh, is sedentary. Hmm. What do you guys do about screen time on your Sabbath? Like, in, you know, in front of a computer or your phone or anything like that? Do you have any rules around that or practices? I don't have a lot of rules around it. I, I It ends up being less because a lot of my screen time is work-related. Mm-hmm. So it, it's yeah. significantly less, but yeah. I haven't uh, 
haven't made a ton of rules for myself in yeah. that, that yeah. category. I, I, Instagram was my uh, weak point, so I put a timer on that mm. just for every day. So every I'm, day. I yeah. make sure that I'm not scrolling through that. And um, it's I, I've gone back to uh, old-fashioned incarnational paper books, um, mm-hmm. and that has been helpful in reducing my screen time because I was reading books on my iPad, but mm. then yeah. texts and emails and alerts sure. are yeah, popping totally. up. And um and then I think also there, you know, it just does something to you star- staring at a screen. Hmm. Um, and, and then, I mean, my regular, like our regular habit is uh, 10 o'clock, no screens uh, okay. every night. So wow. um, we just try to, um, uh, I mean, we're not, you know, holidays, weekends, sometimes we bend that rule, but um, just try to get out of that uh, that habit. But yeah, nothing, I mean, I try not to waste time on uh, on the phone on my Sabbath, but um, in the event that my wife is listening to this, uh, I'll, I'll, I will admit that I, I'm <laughs> yeah. not perfect on that. So, uh, do you think do you think you guys think pastors struggle with Sabbath? Is that a pretty common thing, or you know, is it is it? It seems like it's something that's more important now than it was maybe 20 years ago in the life of pastors. But uh, I could be wrong. I think that. they do. I, I mean, I I have my entire ministry life. I'm 28 years mm-hmm. doing this, and yeah, uh, Sabbath, rest, what does it look like? How do you engage it? How do you, you know, work at being better at it, but not being legalistic about it? Yeah. And you go back and forth, and then suddenly you have a month where it just seems like every, for me, every weekend gets filled up. You know, you got a conference one week, you got sick the next week, you got yeah. kids in yeah. something the next week, and suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, like I have not had a real rest in a long time. Yeah. And, and you, you, you know, it catches up, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think... Most most pastors, probably most leaders. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think for 30 years I've been saying, man, I'm just overcommitted and, and way too busy. <laughs> but in a couple of weeks, things ought to clear up. You know? So, <laughs> so like, because there's always so much yeah. more that could be done, and that you could even say should be should be done. And um, man, it is so hard to to. Um, to take that Sabbath and trust that okay, I don't need to. I don't need yeah. to gather yeah. manna today. Like right. I can, exactly. I can trust that God's yeah. going to provide. <laughs> and that that's the. Uh, I mean, that's the battle for me is just trusting that. Okay, I can take this time, and then also understanding that I am actually more productive hmm. in over six days with one day of rest that's than right. I am that's trying right. to go. Yeah. So you know. Dragging your go. butt seven days a, a exactly. week for months, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm like you, and like I, I do the same thing with my wife Karen. As I say, oh man, this is so busy this season right now. But when mm. it's done, I'll be able to take right. a break. And yeah. she's like, you always say that, and there's going to be something else that's going to come as soon as you're done. Uh, that's going to keep you busy. So, um, yeah, it is it is a struggle for for many of us. Well, our, I think our hope together, our collective hope and, and prayer is that uh, ministry leaders would be able to carve out that time and make space and make mm-hmm. Sabbath, um, and that we <clears throat> we learn to um, not rest from our work, right? Right. But the other way around, exactly. we, we work from our rest, and so yeah. it's out of our place of rest and the the rest of God that we can then enter into our work, which God delights in. So that's our hope and our prayer. Amen. Well... 
don't forget to give us feedback. Um, how can they give us feedback for this podcast? Jeff, I'll ask you, because Dan's been away. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, they can email podcast at churchinthenorth.ca. All right. That's and- podcast at churchinthenorth.ca. Okay, we got that. Thank you. Yeah, it, and good. they could even do that on their day off, I, I would bet. Yeah, yeah. Know? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's not too hard. It doesn't yeah. count as work. Yeah. Uh, Dan, can they write us a review on their day off? That would be fantastic. We would really appreciate that. Or just listen to this uh, engaging and uh, fun podcast. And yeah. Learn yeah. some things. Yeah. yeah. But wherever you are, if you're listening right now and you haven't given us a review yet, or you haven't, uh, you know, given us uh, some comments as well, we'd love for, for you to do that uh, either on iTunes or on Spotify. Uh, our guest this week is Chad McDonald. He's the lead pastor of Port City Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm, yeah. Nice. Calling in from the east. Uh, we're talking about church planting um, in the Maritimes. And uh, we're going to be looking at their unique shared leadership structure for their new church plant. So I think it's going to be an inspiring conversation for our listeners. Thanks for joining me uh, this morning, guys. Thank you. Always good to be together. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, we're excited to have Chad McDonald with us. He is the pastor or one of the pastors at Port City Church in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you having me on. Well, you are one of the pastors at Port City, um, and I'm glad you're here with us today because we're going to talk about mission and church planting um, and I think it's important for our listeners to know that your church was launched just before this past Easter, so like March 26th. So, I mean, you're still in its infancy, toddler stage. So why don't we start with, why don't you tell us what led you to plant a church in Halifax? Sure. Yeah, great question. Definitely a good place to start. Well, I think just some of the basics that is good to know about me is I'm I'm from Nova Scotia. My family's from Cape Breton Island. I'm not from Halifax, but I am a blue noser, as we say, and born and raised in Nova Scotia, but spent many years uh, away in Ontario and then in, in BC. Um, so I would start with that, is that the Lord uh, called me back home almost 10 years ago to uh, work in ministry, particularly church planning catalyst work. And um, it sort of started there. And uh, we ended up in Halifax when we moved back from Vancouver. And just really had a desire to see more churches. Obviously, I was doing catalytic work in church planting. And one of the things that you do as a catalyst, as a good catalyst does, you pray Luke 10-2. You pray for more harvest mm-hmm. workers for the region and particularly for the city of Halifax. And I mean, if you're going to pray that prayer, you better be ready to ask that of yourself. Yeah. And it took a while, but I realized I, I, I would say that I had a holy discontent mm. for what was in our city. I'm not saying that the the church that we planted is is the only great church. There's lots of great churches in our city, but I definitely saw a need for a particular kind of church. Um and just had a holy discontent for what um I was a part of in BC and really felt like um, it would be amazing to see something similar here. So that that would be kind of the quick answer to yeah. what kind of led to that. Well, let's get into that a little bit deeper, but I do have to ask you, what on earth is a blue noser? Yes. So a blue noser is a Nova Scotian. So uh, if you pull out your 10 cent coin, your dime, 
yeah. and you inspect it carefully, it will have the blue nose on there. That's a schooner boat that we're very proud of. Okay. It's housed here in Lunenburg. And so we get coined blue nosers. Okay. Uh, if you're from okay. Nova Scotia, I, you may not know that, but you're a blue noser. I did not know that. And it's, it's nothing like a brown noser. It's a blue noser. No. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so let me ask you this. Why did Halifax need another church? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think every city and town in our country needs more churches. Mm. So some may disagree and some may say, well, there's lots of churches with empty seats and empty parking spaces. You know, I, I would contend that all of our cities across Canada and all of our towns need more churches. I mean, we have not reached a point where everybody has heard the good news of the gospel. And the Lord uses lots of different types of churches and different denominations and different theologies and doctrines to reach his people. So I think for that reason, but then also I think Halifax is a very strategic city. Uh, We're, according to McLean's magazine last year, we were the fastest growing or second fastest growing city Hmm. in Canada. Wow. Didn't know that. I I think, yeah, I think we were second to Bowmanville, Ontario of all places. And so Halifax is definitely not the city that it used to be. Um, It is growing at a very rapid rate, and there's a lot to say about that. So it's just strategically, um, just quickly, like Port City has been planted in Halifax, which is the second fastest growing city in our country. But we're also in a community called Bedford, which is the fastest growing community within Halifax. Hmm. So Hmm. we are in a very strategic uh, place there. Um, and so there's, there is a need for more churches. I think all of our fellow pastors and friends here that are doing ministry together, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, and it's a very strategic city. I mean, with the amount of students we have and education that's going on here, Hmm. the industries that are growing, the tech sector that's growing, uh, the nations are coming to Halifax now, as far as immigration goes. And there's been a lot of movement since COVID and during COVID of people moving, particularly from Ontario to Atlanta, Canada, to Halifax. So we often say, you know, our name is Port City Church. And one of the reasons we named it that, obviously, we're in a port city. But we would say that one of the greatest goods that we can export is the gospel. Okay. And so we want to be an export of the gospel as a church. So, so um you know, wanting to find a central location like that, particularly for your province and for your city, uh, does that tie in then to your your philosophy of uh, the purpose for your church, like a kind of a reproducing strategy? Yeah, it does. I mean, we really spent a lot of time praying and thinking and strategizing over where we should be geographically within the city. Uh, Some have said, I'm surprised that you're not on the peninsula. So the peninsula we refer to is more Mm. the downtown core. Yeah. Uh, We're more in a bedroom community. We're very centrally located. And uh, we're doing a lot of work with students, post-secondary students. So some people have wondered why we're not more strategically down there. Um, And we really just sensed that the Lord was calling us to be more regionally uh, located for the purposes of gathering on a Sunday. Hmm. But then we want to be scattering into our communities and our sub-cities throughout the week. So we've done that or trying to do that strategically through groups. And and so um, 
yeah, that's brought some of the strategy to where we are. I mean, then also, quite frankly, there's a shortage of spaces. And so where we've ended up, we feel is God's grace. We feel like we're very, very happy where we've ended up. We're renting a school, a, a private school on Sunday yeah. mornings. And uh, it was literally the only option that we had on the table. So in some senses, it made that pretty easy. Um, but we did spend a considerable amount of time praying and thinking through, were we going to be more regionally located or more strategically, more neighborhood uh, located? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into your um, missional strategy in just a minute. Before we do that, I, I thought I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the things I was interesting about your church is the way that it was planted. I mean, you guys used what, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a team approach to planting. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and tell us why is it that you decided to plant the church that way? Yeah. Um, so the why, um, as opposed to the how we did that, um, I would say, well, first of all, I think it's the biblical model. Um, I think it is really, when you look at um, who we are as people and how God has gifted us, I, I think that there's many things that we're, that God has given us the ability to do and other things that we're not as gifted to do. And I really think that speaks to the whole body of Christ working and functioning as it should together. Mm -hmm and the different gifts that he's given us. And so I think the why behind planting and team is I just think that is the best use of the gifts that God has given us or has not given you and maybe has yeah. given somebody else. Um, I would also say, you know, Jeremy and I, Jeremy's um, my co-planter, my partner in crime, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, him and I, we have over close to, I think, 15 years of ministry experience prior to Port City. And in the beginning, we just said, we, we don't want to necessarily do the things that we've done in the past. Now, we have both had very healthy ministry experiences, but we would say we ran ourselves fairly, um, fairly dry, or yeah. we got to a place where we were burning the candle at both ends. And we just said, like, does it have to be done this way? Does it have to be done this way? And what would it mean to share the load, you know, to plant in team, to round out the gifts um, of this team and to do it in such a way that um, allows us and affords us the ability to have a different rhythm than many pastors and a different way of looking at um, ministry in that regard. Yeah. And then also I would just lastly say on that question, like to plant a church alone and to sort of find that rare unicorn individual that's got all these gift sets and can preach and teach and do marketing and budgets and administrate, raise up team and fundraise and network. I mean, the list is so long that it's yeah, just like sure. that, that person is not out there. And, and I just think, um, you know, to be most effective and to do ministry for the long haul, not ministry that is short-sighted and that might last 5, 10, 15 years. But thinking beyond that, I think you've got to set yourself up in such a way where you recognize what you're good at and what you're not good at. And who do you bring around you to to undergird that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yours is a bit of a unique story because of um, who you've planted with and 
who came along with you in the journey of planting. So, so tell us a little bit about that story. How did it all come together when you planted, you built this team? Sure. Yeah, it started, uh, as you referenced earlier, Rob, we launched the church just this past March, March 26th, but we've been meeting with our launch team since the previous August. But basically the timeline, uh, the tape rewinds close to three years ago, where um, I'm currently still working for Send Network Canada, and I'm a church planning catalyst with Send Network. And so I received an email about three years ago from a guy named Jeremy Dagger from Mercy Hill in North Carolina in Greensboro, North Carolina. And he just emailed out of the blue and said, hey, I heard you're the church planning catalyst in Atlantic Canada. My mother is born and raised and is from Prince Edward Island. And I spent all my vacations on the island and really have a heart for Prince Edward Island and feel this burden to go and to plant a church and to step out and do that. And that conversation began and we began to chat more and more and our wives began to chat and meet. And we realized that there was a very special, unique relationship. Mm. Um, Going back to that gifts kind of conversation, realizing that our gifts were both very different, very complementary, and really just began to strike up a strong relationship and passion for a similar type of ministry. And so it started there. Um, you know, I don't want to take too long to unpack what all that looked like, but over time we just said, Hey, would you pray about not planting a PEI for now? But would you, would you consider coming to Halifax? Yeah. And we just said, we think this is a more strategic spot for you, uh, for us. Uh, we think we can plant a healthy church here and we'd love to plant more churches in, in the region, including Prince Edward Island. But this I think is the best place to start. And so Jeremy and Julianne said yes to that, and they've got five children, and they packed up over time and eventually made their way uh, here to Halifax. But with that also, there was several uh, individuals and families that uh, felt that call as well to sort of put their yes on the table and and uh, come to Canada. And so probably about 20 percent, 20 or 25 percent of our launch team uh, came from uh, the United States, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, also uh, Kentucky. Wow. And so that's a really unique story and a situation. So really just people that are just sold out for the mission yeah. of what we're doing. So that's kind of how that unfolded. And then that team began to form and build, like I said, last August. And here we are uh, just a little over a year later. Wow. So you gave me a percentage. I mean, how many bodies would that, that be of people coming in from the, the U.S.? Uh, that was about eight or nine, not including the daggers. So okay. yeah, they're, yeah. A family of, they're a family of seven. Right. Yeah, about a dozen, I would say, about a dozen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Our, our launch team was, including kids, was about 60, 63 people. Wow. Okay. In total. That's yeah. a great, so that's it a great a, launch team number. Yeah, and it was it was great because we, we had a portion of those people that came from the United States, but I would say a vast majority of that launch team was local yeah. or Canadian in some yeah. way. How did the, um, the Americans do at translating the gospel in a Canadian context? Not just a Canadian, but a, like an East Coast Canadian context. Yeah, well, we're still working on that. No, I'm okay. just kidding. They, <laughs> um, they've done they've done fantastic. I, I think 
you know, I think really it's, it's the heart and posture in yeah. which you come uh, is probably the most important. Um, just having, as we all should, whether it doesn't matter where you're from, just having a posture and a heart of, of humility, recognizing that God can use anyone from anywhere in any context. But you're right, we're dealing with a unique context in Atlantic Canada. It was one of my concerns around church planting and a planting with uh, Jeremy, who's American, and his family and that launch team. And and I would say a concern that's quickly alleviated when you get to know these people and realize their heart for the gospel and their heart to contextualize yeah. and their heart yeah. to, to know the region. And that's a big part of it is is knowing the history of our region and knowing the context so that when you do come in, um, you have a heart and posture of learning. And as we all should have, whether yeah. you're from North Carolina or you're from Moncton or from Halifax. That's right. So they've done extremely well. Actually, if anything, I would say the spiritual maturity of the individuals and couples that have come up from the United States has been such an immense help with others that have been here. And I know their spiritual maturity, their growth in Christ, their relationship with Jesus has been a tremendous encouragement to many here. So um, that's been that's been huge for us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a that's a it takes a lot of um, humility and listening and discernment to be able to translate the gospel into a different culture. And I mean, I I, I did my doctoral dissertation in Kentucky. Um, I've also been out to the East Coast, and they are very different cultures than, say, where I'm sitting right now in Prairie, Saskatchewan, or where I pastored in Edmonton, Alberta. Like, there's a significant difference. But um, yeah, I you think- can't buy you can't buy unsweetened tea here in Halifax. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, you just have to be willing to, uh, to learn what's there and, and be able to, uh, there's just a lot of surrender as in that too. Like, uh, and, uh, you surrender your own cultural assumptions about the gospel mm-hmm. and being able to say, okay, I'm not going to get my sweetened tea. Um, how am I going mm-hmm. to, um, learn to love the beverage of choice, uh, there in Halifax mm-hmm. instead? Um, so speaking yeah. of culture, like every city has a different culture. I mean, cities have different values, demographics, mm. um, and even different parts of cities have different values. I mean, if you're in the burbs as opposed to the city center, I mean, there's a there's a bit of a different culture. But I mean, generally speaking, when you think of Halifax, how would you describe it? Like, how would you describe the culture mm. of the city? And uh, maybe tell us a little bit, how does this inform your missional strategy? Yeah. Um, Halifax, yeah, it's like I said earlier, it's changed tremendously. Even I've been in Halifax now for almost 10 years, and there's been a significant shift even in that amount of time. So it's now hard. It's a little harder to define than it once was. I would still say uh, Halifax is a a big city with a small town feel. Hmm. So that's one of the reasons I think people really appreciate Halifax is there's a lot of great things about it. You know, we're on the Atlantic Ocean. We have white sandy beaches nearby. We've got a great food scene and all of those things that matter to people. And there's a great work and life balance here. And that's why a lot of companies have been moving into Halifax and, and people have been excited to move here. Is there's more of that like 
the still the traditional laid back lifestyle that right. would be still very much a thing, even though things are growing and changing. Um, it's always said that the Maritimes and particularly big Halifax as a big city would be at least 10 years behind most of the major cities in Canada, hmm. you know, around everything, you know, certain decisions that are being made, things that may be implemented in a city like Vancouver a long time ago that we're just talking about now, hmm. whatever that is, it could be Uber or bike lanes or, I mean, you name it. Okay. Um, so typically it's a further behind city. Um, there's some definite, some charm to that, some frustration to that. But overall, I mean, now with the nations coming to Halifax, you know, the Canadian government has opened up um, a significant amount of entries for new immigrants specifically to come in through Halifax in this next several years. And so we're seeing a massive influx of new immigration, and that's been exciting. So the streets of Halifax look very different. Stores are being, you know, run by by people that are not from here, and that's exciting. Um, but overall, the other the other thing that uh, to know about Halifax and the Maritimes is that change is not um, easily accepted, hmm. and so in the past, and so we're de we're just trying to sort of catch up with all of this recent change, and we're seeing that in our city as well. So. So how that impacts our missional strategy, we're still trying to figure that out, if we're, if we're honest. Um, we, we do know that we have a heart for students, uh, particularly yeah. post-secondary students, and we've got uh, Jimmy Contino on our team, who's our student director. And we just really feel like Halifax is a very strategic city for post-secondary education. Yeah. Um, and so that, that we know we've kind of said like, okay, let's, let's point some, um, some artillery at this area and let's focus in that area. Um, and then I would say, as I mentioned earlier, even where we're located, um, in a very fast growing community within our city, I think is strategic. And we're seeing a lot of people that to come to Fort city that are new to Halifax, you know, they're, they're either Christians looking for a church cause they've moved or, you know, they are far from, from God and from the gospel and they're asking questions and they're, they're new. So hmm. I think just like where we're located, obviously the demographic of people that have been attending um, has, been, has been critical to that sort of strategy. So uh, you, you talked about one of your team members is working with young adults. Is, are you doing any particular um, programs or ministries for the emerging generations? Yeah, actually, just this past Sunday, we started our Young Adults Alpha. So we've partnered with Alpha Canada. Hmm. And uh, so, again, it's kind of utilizing great tools that are already out there and that already exist. Um, obviously, many listening to this podcast would agree Alpha is an organization that's trusted and has a great track record. And so that would be one. We just started that this past weekend. We were so encouraged. We had... 13 uh, individuals, students come out to that. And okay. uh, we Great. held that at a coffee shop downtown. So that'd be just one example of that. But you know what, we, we I guess we're really passionate too about, um, we, we don't want to create a division between the local church and ministry that happens on campus. So yeah. You know, there's there's great ministries that take place on campus, great parachurch ministries, and that's good. We're happy for those. 
but our desire is to reach students and disciple students into the ways of Jesus, but also mm. incorporate them into the life of the local church. And whether that's for two years or four years, or they stay in Halifax, I just think that's really, really important. We're not trying to create a separate university ministry. We're trying to you know, reach university students and um, bring them into the community of Port City Church, young and old, student and senior, or whatever example you want to use. Well, this isn't actually the first church that you've been involved with. You were actually part of a church plant on the West Coast. Um, so, I mean, you've got a bit of water under the bridge, some experience in this. So why don't you tell us about that and, and maybe talk to us about how your understanding of church planting maybe has changed since then. Yeah, I was had the joy and privilege of, as a very young individual, I was probably in my early 20s when I was a part of uh, a church in Vancouver that was uh, planted in 2005 and then went on to plant other locations and campuses and some standalone church plants. And I was a part of that ministry for almost 10 years. And it was, I was young and it was exciting and it was fast paced and the Lord just did a great work, to be honest, through that ministry. And we saw many come to faith in Jesus and and saw many baptisms and planted churches and catalyzed leaders and built apprentice programs and just led alongside amazing godly elders. And it was just a really sweet season that I think the Lord obviously was was giving me and preparing me for where we are today as as He does. And so, yeah, I just feel like I owe a lot to that time, to those leaders that I was um, under and, um, and owe a lot to the Lord for what he was doing in my life. And so I would say I've learned a tremendous amount of things that have prepared me for where we are today in Halifax. And I think one of the biggest areas is just realizing uh, again again going back to the question about planting in team yeah this idea of pace and um realizing you know as i'm now 43 years old um <laughs> i'm realizing like what am i capable at this stage of my life right and what was i capable when i was 23 and what are the differences and so just just wanting to be to plant a church that's around something that's lasting and something that's healthy and something, as I often say, my children's children's children could maybe attend and be a part of someday. And then the other thing I would say I've learned is just, I I would say I've softened a lot over the years. I used to be a lot more rigid and a lot more black and white and a lot less grace filled. And when it comes to dealing with people and people of different ideologies or different doctrine or whatever the situation may be, even just leading in team, I mean, it's really difficult to be to be rigid and black and white all the time when yeah. you're leading in team and making decisions together. And by God's grace, I've, I still have a long way to go in that, but I do feel that the Lord has really softened me in those areas. And, and, and I think that comes from just a place of realizing like when you really start to truly believe that it's the Lord that builds his church, you know, it's like, he's going to do this with or without me. And, and it, and it's just freeing to know that we don't have to have all the right answers or have to think that we know the best play in every scenario. 
that we can just trust him with that um, has been tremendously helpful. So those are just a couple of things. I mean, there's a long list of things that the Lord has done yeah, in my life yeah. over the last several years, which I'm thankful for. Yeah. Well, when, when I planted uh, a church, um, Crosspoint, I was in my late 30s, and now I'm in my early 50s. And I know that uh, if I went and planted, my wife, of course, Karen would say, we're never planting a church again. <laughs> uh, unless mm-hmm. the Lord speaks, you know, scroll from heaven. Mm-hmm. And of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I would do it a whole lot differently now than yeah. I would have back then. Um, Energy-wise, capacity. And, you know, I, I I was spinning my wheels a lot of times. I, I lacked wisdom, but I had a, I had mm-hmm. a lot of enthusiasm. There were a lot of things I did um, that I probably yeah. would do differently for sure. Uh, so it's nice to have yeah. the second time around. I mean, like to to be in it again, um, and you, yeah, and, and to be clear, I, I wasn't, yeah, and I wasn't that lead planter. Yeah, that's right. But you're a part of it. So you were able to see it. I was, and I I was able to. I was led well, and I had great parameters put around me. And I was the other thing is I was I was allowed. I was given freedom to try things and fail at things. Yeah. And I would say even now at 43, uh, you know, it's very important that we try things and we're okay. You become more and more okay with failing at them. And I would say if you're not failing at anything, it's probably because you're not trying and taking risk. And so even now there's things that we try and that I try in my leadership that don't always work. And you just, it's not that you don't, it's not that you fail less. It's just that you get more okay in your identity with who Christ is. So that yeah. when you do fail, you know, there's more grace for yourself in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much in, in your early years are about f- establishing yourself and, and um, you know, building and developing and creating. Whereas uh, I think in your older age, you're more about leaving a legacy and seeing it done through others. I mean, you're just, your mindset changes a lot mm-hmm. uh, in your second half of your ministry career, which you're just stepping into. Uh, your conversations yeah. change a lot too. Um, a lot of conversations with peers are, oh, you have that same problem with your body? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you all get together and that seems to be what you talk about a lot uh, in your middle age. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah. you planted in March. Uh, it is now October. I mean, you're, you're still still in your first cycle, your first year. But mm-hmm. tell us, I mean, how have you seen God at work in your church since launch? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, this is the fun stuff about these podcasts. It's just getting to see and remember and look and watch what God is doing. Yeah. And we've just seen so much of that in seven months. It's been mm. seven months, which is hard to believe. And we've just seen, well, we've seen a couple of things. I think I'll get to the the most exciting stuff at the beginning, which would be we've we've baptized 12 individuals. We've had two baptisms. That's great. Um, yeah, one on Easter Sunday and then one just a few weeks ago. And so just really excited. I got to baptize um my children in that, my three children, I have a son who's 14, my daughter's awesome. 12, and my youngest son yeah. is 10. So that was amazing. Um, I mean, obviously, like, we're doing what we do as a church, and any any ministry does what we do for the sake of those to come into a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so baptism is the the crux of what we get to do as a church. And so really wanted to highlight that and celebrate that. But we're just seeing also... God do a great work and people are, are coming to the church and, and uh, we're seeing a lot of new people 
uh, week after week, and we've mm. seen fairly quick growth for Atlantic Canada's standards and Canadian standards in general. Yeah, uh, and so that's been really encouraging, and and we've been working really hard to. Uh, obviously, we're not looking to be a church that just moves people around in our city from one church to another. But obviously, when you're a church that's in a city that's growing quickly, there's a lot of newcomers to our city. There's, like I said, a lot of students, a lot of people yeah. who are asking questions about faith in God. So just seeing people come. And then we've been really encouraged just by our group's ministry. So we'll say, like, we gather on a Sunday morning for the worship and proclamation of the gospel and for teaching and for community. But then we scatter from kind of Monday until the following Sunday. Yeah in our city. And so we've just done our best to form groups and, you know, the, the gospels on display through groups. That's where mission happens and evangelism happens and discipleship and prayer and all those things. And so we've already sort of established six groups and those groups are very full. And so we're, we're seeing a lot of um, just buy-in from the people of Port City to do that. And so that's been super encouraging to us. Um, and then And then also just just healthy signs of, or, or healthy markers of, of church health. Mm. So, you know, our desire is to plant a healthy church. We're not going to get into what what defines right now a healthy church, but I, I just know there's a lot of churches that are unhealthy. Yeah. And so we want to plant a church that's healthy and one that's lasting. And so we're just seeing those things of whether that is people serving or people giving uh, people being involved, people discipling one another. Um, those are all some marks of, of health. And so we're thankful to see those those signs so early on. Yeah. So you're you're a pop-up church. Tell us a little bit of what the, what's the facility in, like that you're in? Yeah, we rent a Seventh-day Adventist school and they are just wonderful people and a great tenants. And um, it's just a humble little elementary school. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's nothing flashy, um, but we we have uh, a bunch of stuff there. We we have a big sea can out there on the property where we can store okay. a bunch of our That's stuff. Great. And yeah, we transform the gym as best we can into a, a worship space. We have a lot of kids a part of our ministry. We have on average 28 to 32 children in our kids' yeah. ministry on a That's Sunday healthy. morning. So yeah. yeah, so it's converting that space. And, and, um, but we also recognize that, um, we would love at some point to, when the Lord allows it to see if we could get into our own space. And that's a bit of, of our vision for kind of the future yeah. praying into what God would do there. So, yeah. But for now it's working great and we're very thankful for that space. And we're in a very strategic lo- location right off the highway in a fast growing communities, as I mentioned. So yeah, I, I love that about Seventh Day Adventists. I mean, they they um, they make their facilities available for church plants, not just schools, but like their school, their church buildings. Because I mean, Sundays it, it's available space, and and That's so right. planters out there, if you're looking for a place, uh, try and find your local Seventh Day Adventist church yeah. in your area because uh, they're very open yeah. to other uh, church planting movements using their spaces. So, um, yeah. You know, when I when I go to your website, um, and I you will put we'll put the link up in the show notes. But um, one of the things you'll notice is that nobody has the title of lead pastor, and we already talked about this team approach a little bit. So, I mean, it's you you kind of have a more of a shared leadership between you and Jeremy. So, I, I'm interested in knowing how do you navigate that relationship together. I mean, and mm-hmm. more particularly, I mean, 
what happens if you have disagreements and, and maybe you don't like, maybe you're always on the same page, but at some point <laughs> you might have a disagreement, Paul and Barnabas. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, how, how do you guys navigate that? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we, we do have a shared leadership and, and th- those titles are very, at this stage, very strategic. Um, we say that we, we've essentially founded or, or built at this stage, uh, if we can say that from the human hands, Port City together. We've built the, the values, the vision, the mission statement. Um, every decision that we have made so far has been in lockstep. Now, that, that's, that's not easy. Um, and we would argue that there's more cost involved in that up front. Mm. And so it's not easy to lead with somebody else and make those kind of decisions. And then there would be some who say it's impossible. I've had other right, right. pastors say to me, like, it's not going to work. You know, eventually the buck needs to stop with one of you and uh, or, you know, it's just not going to work. So, you know, I think we all come from different leadership experiences and, and yeah. uh where, where we've seen that either work well or not work well. But so far, we're just very, very thankful that I would say it is working um, to this point. And uh, our desire is we, we believe in, in a plurality of elders. So the decisions in time will not be made with Chad and Jeremy. They were made in, in plurality as an elder team. And we have somebody that's going through our elder process right now that will be our first lay elder. So that right. I just want to say up front is will not it's not the Chad and Jeremy show. It will be, you know, the elders that are sort of making decisions in plurality. Um, but yeah, we have just found that it is worth the work, worth the work, the relationships, the meetings, you know, Jeremy and I spend the kind of the joke is like it's like our, we're like each other's second spouse, you know, kind of a strange kind of way. <laughs> you know, it's like we spend so we're much spouses. time. Yes. Uh, so much time with one another. You know, even this morning before this podcast, our biweekly meeting, which is close to three hours long together, just helping make decisions. Um, but yeah, what what do we do when there's kind of an impasse? And I think the way that we would answer that right now is just to say, you know, you both have to come into this with with a great spirit of humility, yeah, and 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 an understanding of like what what are the things that are what are the things that are essential, and what are the things that we like to make essential that are maybe are not. And so when something's brought forward, it's it's a humility to say like, is this something that I feel that is essential that I need to fight for to use that, that language, or is this something that you know, I'm going to default to Jeremy or for him, vice versa, is going to default to me. And sometimes that is knowing our strengths and our weaknesses. So there's areas that I'm gifted in and strong in that he's not and vice versa. There's things that he's very well gifted in and strong in that I'm not. And then trusting just based on his leadership experience, the gifts that God has given him, that there's going to be some areas that I need to default to what he's bringing forward in that regard. And then we also include our wives in a lot of this stuff too. And, and their opinion really matters and they're a significant part of this ministry. Um, And then, and then there's our greater team. So there's the staff team as well that we like to include as much as we can in these decisions. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a window into how we're doing that. So definitely not perfect, but yeah. 
let me press in a little bit further. I mean, you have a team. So when you have a team meeting together, who chairs that team meeting? Yeah, it depends on the type of meeting. So okay. a good example would be we have our staff meeting every Tuesday morning. And that meeting is two and a half hours long or so. And it's with the yeah. five of us. And so at the beginning, Jeremy and I were taking turns doing that. And then, uh, you know, I have a, I come from more of like an executive pastor background and yeah. have those abilities. And eventually he just felt like he was like, Chad, you know, you, you do this more naturally than I do. And he was like, I think you should be leading these meetings. Okay. And so it was like, but I'm like, well, I, I enjoy it when you lead these meetings too. It gives me a break from having to do them all the time. So if I'm away or I prefer not to lead a meeting, he's like more than competent to do that. Jeremy's very, very gifted in that as well. So it's kind of figuring out like, okay, you know, what are our sweet spots? So Jeremy will often be the one if we're having a meeting about maybe our upcoming, you know, series or what book are we going to want to be studying next Jeremy's bringing a lot of leadership to that. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have a voice in that. It doesn't mean that I can't bring ideas and push back. But it's depending on what area of ministry that we would say, hey, you know, this is an area that I think you should you should bring leadership to. But also, we both have equal say and equal voice in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can imagine that as your church continues to grow, you're going to you're going to have to get more crystal clear on some things like just because it, as an organization grows, you're hiring more specialists, right? And so as you do that, you're going to have to um, multiply, at least that, that's my, my hunch. So it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to, to, to see how this evolves over time um, in this yeah. framework. And it saying, has already, it has okay. already. So even in the last several months, like we've picked more lanes or buckets that we kind of bring oversight to within our team. Yeah. yeah. Um, But in the early days, especially with building the uh, launch team, we wanted it to be very much, uh, if I I would use the term, like, I don't want it to to be confusing, but like almost to confuse our team. Like, okay, who who is like this week, Chad seems to be leading. In the last meeting, Jeremy seemed like, I'm a bit confused. And we were good with that. We actually wanted that kind of like, healthy confusion, if I can use that language. But yeah, as we've planted, we do realize mm-hmm. like, yes, there is specific lanes that we're going to take. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and I can imagine doing that in the beginning is good because then they're not making assumptions about who's in charge and they're not, yeah, you know, picking sides or anything like that. They're just, oh, they are actually leading together and, and doing yeah. this. So, um, yeah, uh, Good on you. I mean, I, 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 I know that I, to have a shared leadership role for me would probably knowing my personality would be challenging. I mean, I love team. Uh, I love leading with team. And then I, I say on my teams, like there's a millimeter of difference between me and the rest of the team. Like, so, I mean, if I have to call the shot because we can't agree, I'll do it. But otherwise we all, you know, we all make the decisions together, but, um, I think I'm much more of a structuralist. Uh, maybe that's more mm-hmm. my church background or uh, my personality. So I'm accountable and we know who's accountable and all of that. And um, so to do the team thing, uh, I know it would take a lot of humility and surrender and listening. Um, but I'm, I think I'm maybe more of a bull in a china shop kind of guy. <laughs> so well, I really have to work hard yeah. at it. 
Yeah. Well, when you say like, what are some of the things you've seen in your own life that have changed from doing ministry in Vancouver? Like, I would say that is a big one. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't think I would have ever thought I could do this, you know, 10 years ago, nor would I even say it's even the right way to do it. You yeah. know, I probably would have been one of those guys that says, you know, it's impossible to do it this way. So, and who knows? I mean, we're figuring this out day by day, month by month, by God's grace, and maybe we'll be proven wrong <laughs> in another yeah. year or something. That's okay, too. Like, yeah. we're okay to to give this a go and see what the Lord does with it. And, and if yeah. it needs to change, we're both willing to do that. Yeah, that's great. Well, I think of like Dave and John Ferguson, you know, the exponential guys and mm -hmm. their church. And mm -hmm. I mean, they planted that church together and they did it together. And there's, you know, clear mm -hmm. division of roles and all of that. And, and uh, you know, they made it work. So I think the model, like it has legs. Like I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's going to be a really effective model with the right people doing it. So um, yeah. Yeah. Good on you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, why don't you, why don't you share that. with us um, some long-term plans or dreams for your church? Yeah. Um, we were talking about a little bit about that this morning, just about we're dreaming and thinking ahead. And obviously we'd love to be a church that's multiplying and planting churches. But we were saying this morning, like greater than raising up church planters is we want to raise up leaders within our church. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. We really feel like leadership development, whatever you want to call that, discipleship, leadership pipeline, there's all kinds yeah. of terms for it. We feel like church planters are naturally going to come out of that group. But greater than that, we would say is our call as pastors and shepherds to raise up leaders in general. Hmm. Um, so although we're passionate about church planting, we really believe that, um, you know, raising up great disciples who are stay-at-home moms, who are accountants, yeah. you know, who are doing, working in the marketplace, that is equally important um, as raising up church planters and planting new churches. And so that's what we say to our people is that we want you, we want you to know that you're a part of a church that desires to raise up leaders in general, men, women, pour into both men and women for significant roles of ministry, whatever the Lord would have for them. And then our hope is that obviously the Lord would bless that and, and provide us people who are called specifically to vocational or co-vocational ministry um, with us. And so planting churches is, is a big part of that. Um, yeah. We are already starting to think and dream about actually doing something on the peninsula. So okay. I know it's really early days. We're only seven months in, but we are. I don't want to give too much of the goodies away, but yeah. we're starting to just think like, okay, Lord, what would that look like in the next year, year and a half to do that? Um, and so we're doing that. We have uh, a church planter that's going to be joining us. Uh, a guy named Mike is coming over from Nigeria mm. and to join our church planting residency. And so wow. we're, we're looking for leaders. We have an opportunity and we don't want to close the opportunity uh, for who the Lord may bring us from as far as Nigeria or as close as Dartmouth, you know, um, we'll see who that could be. So, so planting churches, raising up leaders. Um, we would love to see at some point uh, a permanent facility. We love where we're renting right now. Um, church out here, it, it's kind of a strange deal. Like in other major cities in Canada, I think if you're renting from Cineplex or you're renting a school, you can kind of still be seen as a legitimate church. 
in Atlantic Canada, it's it's different. It's like, you know, until you have your own building and your own parking spaces, you're kind of seen as maybe a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe I think there's like just question on whether it would last or be around for a while. And right. so yeah. there's some of that too. Um, so our desire would be to, to have a space, not for that reason alone, but we would love to be um, in a position where we can um, – we can multiply healthily and um, and sometimes that comes with having space if that's if that's helpful so we're praying into those things um, we're praying into multiplication raising up leaders we're building our residency program to see who the Lord would send us so those are just a few a few aspects of the things we're thinking and dreaming into yeah yeah well I mean we were portable for eight years and it's it's a it's a lot of work it's a lot of drain we had a trailer though that we had to drive mm-hmm. from one site to another every week, this big, huge monster trailer full of equipment. It's good you have yeah. a site. But I mean, that we were always struggling to find locations for midweek types of ministries because we were kind of bound yeah. to the facility. So we, you know, if we wanted to do Alpha, for example, or whatnot, we always had to get a community center or something that was large enough or our youth ministry. I mean, we rented a community center every week just for our, to host our youth ministry. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, We rent an office space and that's not cheap in Halifax. And I mean, we, we dream of doing something that if, if we had the opportunity to to build something, it would not be a typical church. We would love to partner with the city and consult with the right people to see something that is used and rented and blesses the city. And so I think there's creative ways uh, that you can do that where, um, you can think outside the box and it takes some consultation, but you can do it in a way that I think is a little more effective for the sake of mission, but also for the sake of the city and its benefit. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, there's always that danger of the, the building becoming the mission rather than yeah. the building, um, being a tool for the mission of God. Right. And so, yeah. so many churches get trapped in this, well, we've got to build the building and all the mission is becomes about building this building. And, and yeah. missing out on what's the building for, you know, ultimately at the end of the day. And right. I love, I love churches like yourself that are saying, well, let's, let's create a building that where this auditorium doesn't sit empty six days a week, but let's, right. let's create a multi-purpose black box kind of space that can be used for so many different things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think churches become handcuffed with big buildings and big mortgages. And and I would never want our desire to ch- plant churches and multiply, be hindered by decisions that we make. And I would rather remain small and nimble and agile uh, to be able to make those decisions without feeling the pressure of mortgages and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to be careful not to cast shade on traditional church buildings. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, mm-hmm. um, cause I think a lot of churches even now are saying, well, how can we make use of this big auditorium and open it up for the city for like high school graduations or other events that might go on? And, yeah. and you know, I, I know that the church that I'm attending in Moose Jaw here, that's what they've done. They said, well, we got all this extra space. How can we serve the city and serve the community with the use of our building? Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit of our story in Vancouver. We purchased one of the largest performing centers downtown Vancouver and got to see that space used uh, for worship and for the glory of God and then to also just reach the city and bless the city. And it was a pretty neat story. So I'd love to 
Lord willing, see some of that happen here in Halifax. Yeah, yeah. Well, church planning is not easy. Um, I know that from experience. Um, what are you doing to take care of yourself? Like, how how do you manage self care? I mean, you got you got family as well. I mean, uh, yeah. you've got a marriage to to take care of and all of that. What do, what have you been doing with your self care? Yeah, I have a family. As I said, my my son Keel's fourteen. My daughter Emmy's twelve. My youngest son Jude is ten. My wife Linda. We've been married for almost 19 years. She works almost full-time as an accountant and bookkeeper. Our kids mm. go to school. We have a new puppy. So life is busy. Oh man, you know, the bet- dog. Between the dog, <laughs> that's right, training the dog. So all of those things, there's school, there's after-school programs, there's group midweek and all of the things that we do uh, around family and, and church and, and ministry. So it is definitely, definitely busy. I, I, to answer that question around self-care, I think it, it goes back to our early part of the discussion. I mean, mm. to be planting in team affords you to do self-care differently. Mm. You know, just practical example, last weekend um, I was preaching and Jeremy and his family, they decided to go to Cape Breton for the weekend. And I said, wow. go, go to Cape Breton, take the weekend off. You know, the team and I, we've got this. I was away the week before in the States because I was traveling for Send Network work. And he went away and did that. We had a great Sunday. Um, he was away. And then this Sunday is Thanksgiving weekend. And I'm actually going to be away with my family in Cape right. Breton this weekend. Yeah. And so just practically... That is only possible because we have a team and we can work with one another and have each other's backs in that. Mm. So it affords us the ability to self-care better. I mean, there's just practical ways that we do that as a church and as a leadership team. We've been practicing and teaching a lot on Sabbath over this last year. And so the importance of stopping, even as a church planter, like we turn things off for 24 hours. We power down phones. We do all of those things where yeah. we are with family. And and to say that that's not possible in a church planting scenario, um, I would completely disagree with and say, you know, it's needed. And the church does not rest on us. You know, the church yeah. is the Lord's and he's going to build it with, with us or without us. And I would just say, like, yeah, to have proper self-care in place at this stage is important. We want to see a church that's around for more than just a few years, which is unfortunately a common statistic within Canada. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so there's some self-care pieces. I, I've alluded to some of those things like Sabbath, th- things like getting away, taking some time off. Um, and just, I think, overall, just realizing, like, um, there's seasons and ministry is in seasons. And so there's hard seasons that are heavier and harder and uh, require more. And then there's other seasons that are lighter. So one of the, one of the values as a staff team or one of the things kind of our internal team will say is, you know, you know, we want to, we want to work hard and we want to play hard. And so we work really hard, but we also play really hard and we want to, we want to do that well. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that, I I can see that being an advantage of the team approach for sure. Because when I planted solo, I mean, it felt like the family restaurant. You could never leave it. Like it was it was yeah. always open and you always had to be there. And 
So if I was going to be away, I'd have to beg some of my pastor friends to come in and preach for me because I didn't have a bench at the time. Like I had all young leaders and I didn't have any preachers in the house. And um, so you, you felt just shackled sometimes to, to the, to the ministry. And it was very, very difficult and challenging those early years until we could build up the bench. Right. So, but if you could start out the gate with somebody else, I mean, that's a huge advantage for a planter. Yeah. We have four, four preachers on our team. So Mm. There's myself and Jeremy does uh, the bulk of it. And then we have Jimmy, our student director, just he's in the pulpit in a couple of weeks, just a phenomenally gifted young guy. And then Josh Stockstetter, who's our pastoral resident and has many years of ministry under his belt, is a very gifted preacher. Mm. And so, yeah, we feel very, very blessed in that regard. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, uh, if people want to know more about your church, uh, where do they go? Yeah, kind of all the regular outlets. We're really active, try and stay active on social media. So Instagram, Facebook, and then our website, portcitychurch.ca. Um, but yeah, you can reach us in any of those ways. You can DM us or send us an email. But yeah, portcitychurch.ca is kind of the main driver, but you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. Right. And they can email you through that Port City website as well. Yeah, absolutely. All of the contact is there pretty easy to get a hold of us. I think our website's pretty easy to navigate and find us. So that's great. Well, we'll make sure that we have it in the show notes. Uh, Chad McDonald, thanks for being uh, with us on Church in the North. Man, thank you for having me, Rob. It's just a, a privilege to share a bit of our story of what God is doing in Halifax. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll catch up a little bit in the future. Okay. Take care, Rob. Yeah. You've been listening to the Church in the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 